This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. This week, our episode features two segments. The first is a report from Edward R. Murrow from London during the Blitz on December 2nd, 1940. Our second segment is The Entertainment Committee, a 1940 episode of Blondie, one of the longest-running comedies of the old-time radio era. Blondie aired from 1939 to 1950 over multiple networks. It was based on the Blondie comic strip, which celebrated its 90th anniversary this fall. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you enjoy the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, on to this week's episode. These broadcasts are done from London at a quarter to one in the morning. Sometimes when they're ended, there's no desire to sleep. Only the urge to go out and walk familiar streets at a time when the night is left to darkness and to me. Wandering around the streets of this city in the early hours of the morning is sometimes exciting. There may be fires, gunfire, and bombs. One may see in the light of flares, carefully hidden under canvas, human beings looking like broken, cast-away, dust-covered dolls being lifted with careful hands out of a tunnel driven through to the basement of a bombed house. But more often, the streets are empty, the guns silent, and one walks the streets of this proud city accompanied only by a rabble of undisciplined, random thoughts. The sight of a familiar church spire reminds one of Churchill's remark that it will take ten years to destroy half the city, and that after that, progress will be slower. Occasionally during November and December, a cold, choking fog comes down to take command of the streets, it seeps down into the shelters in the subways. After a visit to one of those shelters, one climbs the stairs into the damp darkness of the night, pursued by the sound of coughing, and hoping that it will be a mild winter in Europe. During a heavy raid, courage varies in direct proportion to the cold. It's difficult to be brave when you're cold. Sometimes looking in at a fashionable hotel with its bright lights, music, and champagne, and the empty, unfeeling faces of the dancers on the floor, we're reminded again of the Prime Minister's phrase, grim and gay. Those people are neither grim nor gay. One must go to the subways and see men playing poker for a tuppenny limit, women brewing tea, or cab drivers talking on the rank to understand that phrase. There is time, too, to think of British courtesy as well as courage. The good-humored courtesy of taxi drivers and bus conductors, of people who still thank you for asking them to do you a favor, even when it's hard to hear their thanks above the roar of the guns. One night during a terrific barrage, I saw a little man wearing a tin hat running down the middle of the street. He tripped over a rope stretched across the street to prevent traffic from passing an unexploded bomb. His tin hat rolled into the gutter. He retrieved it and said to no one at all, he was quite alone in the street, sorry, so sorry, 
and then he went on his way. Those of us who've been trying to report this war have said too much about courage and too little about courtesy. People who remember to be courteous are not greatly afraid. Walking from Regent's Park to the embankment, there is time to think of the frequent comments overheard during the day. Londoners saying they wish it had been London instead of Liverpool or Southampton that was bombed last night. They know the value of their forts. But it's interesting that they would rather have had the bombs aimed at them than at more vital points. In the early hours of the morning, sometimes between five and seven, the high, steady note of the all-clear cuts through the cold, frosty air of London. Hundreds of thousands of humans come oozing up from underground, many of them stiff and tired from a night in the shelters. The ducks in Green Park set up their questioning quacking, and the pigeons come back from some mysterious place to Trafalgar Square. Buckets of boiling water are poured into the muzzles of hard-worked guns as they're swabbed out and prepared for another night's work. And always as one walks home with the winter's sun boring through the autumn mists, there's the question, how long can this go on? Don't touch that dial. Listen to Blondie, brought to you by the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Extra, extra! For extra flavor, get Camel. Extra! For extra mildness and extra coolness, get Camel. Extra! For extra smoking for fact, get Camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Before we drop over to the Bumstead house to visit Chick Young's famous characters, Blondie and Dagwood, a word from the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Ladies and gentlemen, the story on Camel Cigarettes is short and to the point. Slow-burning camels give you the extras. Extra mildness, extra... Pardon me, Mr. Goodwin. Did you say extra mildness? Well, yes, camels are more than mild. You see, their slower way of burning means freedom from the drying and irritating qualities of excess heat and too fast burning means extra mildness. Camels also give you extra coolness, extra flavor, and extra smoking for fact. In recent impartial laboratory tests, camels burn 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brand tested, slower than any of them. And that Excuse means... Excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. That's uh, extra smoking for fact. Oh, 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 I see. Camels burn 25% slower than the average. So... Yes, that's the figure, and that means the smoking plus equal on the average to five extra smokes per pack. Camels are the cigarette of costlier tobaccos. Penny for penny, camels are your best cigarette buy. And now for our weekly visit with the Bumstead. Tonight, on the living room table, we find a pair of tickets that read the J.C. Dillard's Construction Company's annual get-together and social, dining, dancing, and mammoth entertainment at mid-one. It looks like the Bumsteads were going out for a big evening. But here comes Dagwood stumping out of the kitchen with one shoe in his hand. Dagwood, where on earth are you? Here I come, Mommy. You're not there either. Did you find your other shoe? Yeah. Uh, it was in the tool chest uh, out in the kitchen. Uh, what on earth was it doing in there? Just lying there. Uh, I must have been a little absent-minded that time. What time? The time I couldn't find the tack hammer and use my shoe to tack down that little place in the linoleum. Oh, I never saw such a man using his good shoe to hammer tack. Just a heel, honey. It's my patent leather shoe, and I don't get to wear it much anyhow. Well, now that you found it, why don't you put it on? I was going to, honey. I was just going upstairs to put it on. Uh, can't you put it on down here? 
I usually put on my shoes in our bedroom, and just because we're going out to that social, I'm not going to get all excited and try any new experiment. Oh, Dagwood, I'm so glad you're wearing a black tie tonight. I'm wearing more than that. I'm wearing a stiff shirt. Of course, Dagwood. But black tie is a polite way of saying that it's kind of semi-formal and the men wear dinner coat. Oh, you mean tuxedo? Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, most of the guys had to rent theirs, and uh, they think Mr. Divers is getting too high hat. Well, I guess if he gives everybody a free party, the least they can do is to dress properly for it. Now, hurry, Dagwood, yeah. and don't forget to put on your collar. Yeah. Hey, that reminds me. Where's my back collar button? Oh, it's in the little box in your top bureau drawer. The one with your question. No, it nope. isn't. I looked in there. Oh, company. Just when we're going out. Oh, I'll answer the door. You go hide. I mean, go upstairs and don't let anyone see you have dressed. I can't get dressed till I find that collar button. Well, look in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom. Where's my hair pin? It's not in there either. Well, look in the shirt you're wearing. Oh, why, Mr. Gibbons, come in. Okay. Hey, how does that get in here? Huh? Does he need me? Oh, no, Mr. Divis. He needs his collar button. Was it in your shirt, Dadwood? Yeah. Uh, who was that, Mr. Mr. Divis. Oh, I'll be right down. <laughs> he says he'll be right down. He ought to be right down at the hall now to welcome the talent. Oh, uh, is Dadwood on the entertainment committee? Honestly, oh, is it? Did he tell you? Why, no. But of course, Dadwood is so modest about what he does. You mean he forgot as usual. I only appointed Jack with the committee for entertainment because I thought you'd help him to figure out the vaudeville act. Oh, are we going to have vaudeville? Well, I hope so. I gave him $300 to buy talent with. Well, I'm sure you'll have a wonderful show for that money. You're very generous, Mr. Gibbs. A fool and his money is soon parted. I start out to have sandwiches and coffee down at the warehouse. I end up by hiring a lodge hall, complete with a stage and dressing rooms, and a 10-piece band of music that I have to feed, along with 400 employees. Did you ever see musicians eat? No, but I suppose they do. Worse than a swarm of locusts. And that's not all. What else, Mr. Divis? The actors. Actors never eat before a show. They wait till afterwards. And then how they eat. It must be very expensive, but it'll make a lot of goodwill. Then there's the guest. The mayor and the chief of police. Goodness, are they coming? Yeah, the mayor's coming to watch the show, and the chief's coming to keep his eye on the mayor. Two more big eaters. Well, uh, Dagwood and I could have a little something before we leave home. No, there won't be time. Just see that Dagwood doesn't beat the mayor to the table, that's all. Where is Dagwood? Oh, he'll be down any minute now. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Gibbs. I know everything will be just wonderful. And I bet Dagwood's vaudeville show will have the audience laughing from start to finish. Yeah, but I want to make sure they're laughing with us and not at us. Okay! <laughs> well, tonight, tonight. I'm glad you realize it. That vaudeville show all lined up? Oh, sure. Uh, sure. I want to double check you on that, Bob Uh, Will you excuse me, Mr. Diddy? I want to be all ready to go when you and Dad would get through your talk. Yeah, go ahead. Now, Bob huh? tell me about those acts. Well, they, uh, they're perfectly good acts, but I, I want to surprise you. Now, listen, Bob huh? this is no time to play peekaboo. I've got my reputation of $300 at stake here. Let's get down to brass tacks. Well, like I told you... Oh, bombshell. Uh-huh. How many times must I tell you to save time and money by using business language in business matters? Don't say, like I told you. Say, as per our recent conversation. Now, wait. Here's our memos on the subject. Oh, yes. Memo one. Uh-huh. From JCD to DB. Subject, fun and frolic. Text, in real conversation of even dates. What have you done to provide entertainment for forthcoming social? I want something lively. Like an old cow show, only more dignified. You may spend 300 Well, I did. 
702, from DB to JCB, subject vaudeville, text, Dear Mr. Davis, listen, Mr. Davis, I haven't done anything much yet because I've been busy, but there are lots of vaudeville actors around this town, and we'll get you up a show like a big-time vaudeville, only probably better if they're good and rested, and will be raring to go. Yeah, well, I... Memo number three, uh-huh. JCB to DB. Oh. How is that show coming on? Memo number four, DB to JCB. What show? Memo number five. That Broadwell show, you dope. Yeah. Refer to previous memos under the head fun and frolic and report at once what progress has been made. Well... Memo number six. Oh, that show. It'll be all right. That's all I could get out of you in nine more memos. Yeah, but in memo number 15... In number 15, you say, don't worry, everything's all right. Yeah, it is. Now, listen. Have you or have you not lined up a Broadwell show as per your promise to me? Oh, sure, but uh, I can't tell you the names of the acts as per my promise to them. Well, they must be fine acts if they have to keep it a secret. Well, see, these people were big names, and if it got out that they were working for this kind of money... Well, what's the matter with my money? Well, there isn't much of it, uh, not for big names. Oh. Oh, they're really big names, eh? You bet. You'll be surprised. Oh. Now, listen, it does... Uh... Does one of those names begin with a P? Huh? P.J.? Now, don't try to find out, Mr. Diddy. Well, I was just hoping one of them was a good blackface comedian, like Phil Jotham. Ever since I was a boy, I've liked blackface comedians. Well, I wish I could tell you, Mr. Diddy, but I can't. Oh, I insist on knowing at least one of those acts, Bum said. Well, if I tell you one, you want to know them all. No, I promise. Just tell me the name of your headline. Oh, well, okay, just that one. It's, uh, it's Sparkle. Ah, uh, Sparkle? Sure, uh, Sparkle the Great. Oh, Sparkle the Great, eh? Uh-huh. What's he do? Yeah, well, he's a fire eater. Yeah, but listen, rather... What? A fire eater? Uh-huh. Uh, what kind of a headliner is that? Every carnival for 20 years has had a fire eater. A fire eater wouldn't be a headliner on a dog and pony show. Who wants to see a fire eater? I do. Uh, you would. Now, if that's your feature act, the rest of the program must be established. It is not. It's very high class. A lot of singing and all. Oh, singing, eh? Well, I like singing. You, you like the whole thing. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's getting all sweet. Yeah, look at the time. Come on, Bumstead. We've got to get down there. Oh, wait a minute. Dagwood, huh? have you been lying around in your dress clothes? Well, I was trying to think where my other shoe was, and I kind of stretched out on the couch a minute. And... So did Daisy. Huh? And now you're covered with dog hair. I'll have to brush you off. I can't wait for any nonsense. I'm going. All I can say to you, Bumstead, uh-huh. is you better get down there and get that show going on time. And it's better be good. Oh, he can slam a door meaner than any man I ever saw. Now hold still, dear, while yes. I dress you. Okay. Mr. Gooder seems quite worried about the entertainment. That's what I know. Golly, he didn't even like Sparkle the Fire Eater. Well, he ought to know that you had to have some low price gas like that to fill out with. Why, sure, and then the hazard, uh, low price? My, yes. Hold still while I get that for you here. Sparkle didn't cost much, did he? Well, not much for a first-class fire eater. Well, yeah, I'd settle for $100. Yes, would. You only had 300 Well, sure, that's, uh, that left me 200 uh, Well, I wish you'd let me help you do a little bargaining, Dad. Well, it wouldn't have done any good. See, Sparkle was retired from the fire eating business and all. I had to coax him to make a comeback. Oh, he's an ex-fire eater. Sure, and look at the money he loses when he closes his shop early. What shop is that, then? His barber shop. You mean Sparkle is a barber? Certainly. Oh, his real name is Tony, but he still eats fire as a hobby. Uh, turn around, dear, while I dress your back. <laughs> One time Tony gave me a hair thing just by breathing on my neck. 
Mr. Vincent, dear. Now, what apps did you buy with the other $200 you had? Oh, I was lucky there, too. I guess you've heard of uh, Helder Skelter, haven't you? No, dear. Well, Helder Skelter was famous. Madam Helder Skelter, the Danish Nightingale. High class songs and Danish pastry and pastry. Well, that came later after she gave up most of her things. She runs a bakery shop now. It's uh, Miss Granders over on Main Street. Well, it takes you to find out things about people. I never knew that Miss Granders could sing a note. Oh, sure. I got real funny with her one day over a half a dozen Danish donuts. And uh, she got out her scrapbook and showed me her press notices. Uh-huh. <laughs> the notices said she was a fine singer. Well, then what's she doing making those Scandinavian waffles and things? A secret sorrow. Yeah. Now, am I all right? Yes, dear. That's uh, good. What secret sorrow? She didn't say, but it uh, drove her off the stage and she wound up in front of the oven. Oh, the poor woman. She must miss the excitement. Oh, the bakery shop isn't dull, she says. She's had a fight not to lose all her money. Oh, she was glad to get that $200. Bad words. Huh? If you if you only had three hundred and you paid you paid it out for just two acts? Well, but they're good acts, honey. That isn't it, Bad Words. How are you going to pay the other acts? I haven't got any other acts to pay. You you mean that Mr. Gitter's mammoth vaudeville show is uh, going to be only two acts? Well, both Sparkle and Madam Helder said they had a lot of friends who might drop in and do something, and just for old time's sake. And might yes, drop in? Yeah, most likely they will. Most likely Mr. Gibbons is going to raise the roof when he hears this. We'd better get down there as fast as we can, Dagwood. Come on. <laughs> Blondie, uh, we go right upstairs here. Oh, Dad, but I don't hear any music or anything going on. No, but this is the place. Oh, look at that sign. Triggers employees get together this way. Yeah, oh, here's another sign, too. Come tonight and bring your girly, but be back on the job tomorrow early. <laughs> oh, look, there's a big sign inside. It says, Gracie Gitters, Dinner, Dance, and Mammoth Entertainment. Yes. Oh, that business of Gitter's kind of walking up and down. He's facing like a caged lion, yeah. and he hasn't even heard about there being only two acts. Well, I can't understand why there's no noise in there. Hey, maybe we're early. No, we're a little late. What's going on? Nothing's going on. That's what. There's 400 people in there staring at each other. The party's a flop before it begins. Where's that show you promised me? What? Didn't either of the acts show up yet? Huh? What do you mean, either of the acts? I mean, uh, uh Sparkle or Madam Helder Skelter. Well, those two are in there, but what about... Oh, oh well, then it's okay. <laughs> huh? Um, I'm afraid, Mr. Gitters, that those two acts are the, uh... Show. Yeah, you say it's like this. Wait! Uh, huh? You mean to tell me that those two people are the whole show? You spend $300 on two people who refuse to go on with their acts? Well, I... Uh-huh. Won't go on? Why won't they, Mr. Gitters? How do I know? They won't tell me. All I know is they walk in and got one look at each other and the panic was on. They won't work on the same stage. They won't even speak to each other. Dadwood, what on earth? I don't know what it's all about. What did they say? I don't know. Sparkle won't work if Helder Skelter sings and Helder won't work unless Sparkle uh, sparks. Yeah, I, I got again. Mr. Gidder says that he will if she won't, but she won't if she don't. Oh, you mean he won't if she don't, but she will yeah. if he doesn't. No, no, it's like no. this. He won't if he can, uh-huh. but he doesn't unless he... Well, now you got me doing it. You must be a little confused, Mr. Gidders. Oh, I 
am, am I? Maybe you can stake out this business, eh? If they've had some kind of a fight, we'd better take them one at a time. Listen, I'll go see Hilda Shelter, and you men go talk to Sparky. Sure. sure. Oh, gosh. I've got to get the show started. I'll say you have, Bumpstead. Because if you don't, I'll never hold up my head in my own office again. And you, Bumpstead, who... Oh, I know. I know. You can't let this... I... Oh, oh, what's that? That's the audience. Waiting for your mammoth hornbill show. We'll return to the Bumsteads in a moment, but first a word from the makers of Camel Cigarettes. You know, friends, when you get right down to it, you smokers yourselves are the final judges of cigarette quality. You're the ones who say, this is the cigarette that gives me what I want. And you probably know from your own observation that more smokers prefer Camels than any other cigarette. Now, that's easy to see. Slow-burning Camels are the cigarette that gives you the extras, extra mildness, Extra coolness, extra flavor, and extra smoking per pack. Yes, I said extra smoking per pack. In recent impartial laboratory tests, camels burn 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brand tested, slower than any of them. That means a smoking plus equal on the average to five extra smokes per pack. Just a minute, Mr. Goodwin. I'd like to say that camel cigarettes give me real smoking economy. I know. You see, where I live, we have an added state cigarette tax. I figure I save the cost of that tax through smoking camels. Yes, and for those of you who live where there are no added taxes, well, the savings are all yours. Friends, turn to slow-burning camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. And now we return to Messrs. Dagwood and Dithers in the dressing room of Sparkle the Great, alias... Tony the Barber. I'll listen, Sparkle. We don't want the money back, see? We want a show. I've got to have a show. The mayor's out there looking at his watch, and that big crowd is all waiting to see you do your stuff. Oh, listen, where's your professional pride? Where's that so much going on, eh? Your public wants you, Tony. Now, what do you say? Oh, it's no use. He just won't talk. Oh, wait, I think he's going to say something. Look, at last. Mr. Bizzard. Yes, yes. I want to ask you one thing. Oh, sure, anything. What? Mr. Dithers, who give you that bad haircut, huh? Oh, I give up. Well, I don't. Now, listen, Tony, I mean Sparkle. You can't let me down like this. Think of all the times I've taken hair tonics I didn't want in your shop. And don't forget all those hot towels I don't like. If I can stand them just to set the other customers a good example, you might do a little fire-eating act for me just this once. I'm almost as sad of Mr. Bumstead. Yeah. You needn't need a whole lot of fire, just, uh, just a couple of lighted matches, huh? Mr. Bumstead, please, you don't honestly stand. Oh. I think I tell you the whole business, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but make it snappy. Uh, please. That's okay. And uh, listen. Uh, once upon a time... Oh, it's a fairy story. Uh, go on, Sparkle. Uh, once upon a time, when I'm a big artist, uh-huh. I get it ambitious. What did you get? Ambitious. Go on. Oh. I think I make it an act of great Sparkle and a comb. Okay, Sparkle and company, yes. So I hired Dieter Helder Skelter into my act. Uh-huh. Oh, you hired her to sing in your act? No. I do not hire her to sing. Uh-huh. I hire her to hand me the stuff. All the time she's asking me to let her sing, and all the time I say no. 
She's an actor. She is a fire eater actor. And not a singing actor. So, a word upon a time. Oh, this is where I came in. <laughs> a word upon a time comes at the end. Uh, listen. In this actor, I stand on one side of the stage. Elder Skelter stand on the other side. She's a holder of these candles. You understand? Sure, sure. Get on with it. Okay. First, I eat four or five red hot coals. Ah, it is beautiful to see me. Then I drink a little bit of gasoline. Oh, gosh. Then I blow this burning gasoline out of the candle and poof. And lit the candle, huh? Always I lighted the candle. Oh. Until one night. Yeah, what happened? One night, I eat the red hot coals. I drink the gasoline. I get ready for my poof. And they told the skull to open her mouth and give out with a high C. She sang? See, she sing. Me, I am surprised. I choked the hot coal, I goggled the gasoline, I poofed it the wrong way, and scorched the pickle of play. Oh, so that's why you don't like Helen Keller. I love this woman. Love her? Here, all the time, my love. I forgive her the high fee, but I cannot forgive the insult. He uh, insulted you, too. Uh, how? Uh, this I cannot speak to know. It is too much of what she says. Ask her what did she say to me in the hospital. You go ask her, Bob said. I'll stay here and keep working on Fargo. Yeah, I'll go over to Helder's dressing room. Uh, maybe she's already told Blondie. I mean, Palsy called. She said this to me who loved him. Oh, but Madam Helder, um, Helder, I mean. You call me Helder. We will be friends, no. Well, I hope so. Uh, perhaps he was just touchy because he was sick after swallowing that fire. He had broiled tonsil. Are you sure that just offering him a place in your act insulted him? Oh, yes. He was so proud. His pride was greater than his love. But if he was too proud to join your act, couldn't you have gone back into his act? No, no, my dear. You see, that one high scene made my fortune. The manager asked me to sing a whole aria. It was a sensation. I was too well known to have hidden myself behind poor Tony Stark. She knew it. She was jealous. Oh, isn't that a shame? And uh, you still love him, don't you? Oh, yes. You know how it is with women. We do not forget. That is why I want him to go on tonight. But you won't go on yourself. Come in. I will go on if he does. But he won't go on if you do. Oh, are you still doing that? Oh, gosh, it's all mixed up, Dagwood. It's kind of professional pride. Yeah, I know. I don't understand how two people who love each other. He, he said that he still cared for me. Sure. Oh, my poor Tony. Yeah. Hey, listen, how about me? I mean, gosh, I counted on you, Madam Helder. Dagwood may even lose his job over this. Oh, I am sorry for you, for myself who need the money. For Tony, who needs it too? Oh, 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 sick. You what? I got around him. It cost fifty bucks next year. Oh, he will do his act. Oh, then I am happy. I too will sing, you know? Yes. If you go on first, Fargo won't open the show. He said it's beneath his dignity. I do not mind. When they hear my voice, it is enough. Listen, I show you how I will sing. What happened? Gosh, what's wrong? Oh, too late. The excitement is dead from my voice. I cannot sing. Oh, Dad, with that other time, she didn't sing for weeks. Nerves. Yeah, but she's got to go on first. 
Well, Sparkle won't go on at all. Yeah, maybe we can straighten it out, huh? Don't tell the audience the show will be delayed a little, Mr. Dibbley. Oh, oh, I just told them it was going on right away. Now, get busy, Bumpstead. Yeah. Give us some nerve comics. Give her a baby's massage. Uh, try your voice again. Maybe it'll come back. Uh, I will try. Hey, what is this noise? Who's the trying to sing? This is Madame Helder. No. She has the voice of gold. What I hear is that the crow. Her nerves have gone back on her. Her voice is gone. Helga, carissima mia, your voice is gone. My heart is a break for you. Oh, Tony, my Tony. Hey, I thought you didn't want her to sing. Not with me. But she's a great artist. Her voice must be saved. Tony, hold me close. Ah, see, carissima. There, there, my little bird, nesting in Tony's arms, so. Do you understand this, Blondie? Yes, dear. They love each other and they admire each other's art. But well, I told them they'd have to wait. Hey, what's happened? Have they made up? See, I have a whisper to Helga and she has agreed. We will do my act once more. Yes, I will help your act, Tony. Well, that's fine. Here, only one act. Hey. If you two have made up, then maybe you could still get some of your old vulnerable friends to help out, huh? Yeah, sure. Take at least a list of the names. Phone up. Call up Phil and Jocelyn the first thing. Phil yeah. Jocelyn? The great blackface comedian? Oh, boy. Way like tell the audience that. Hey, get on that phone, Bump Ted. I'll tell them. Okay, I'll call them up. Hey, that Sparkle and the company are together again. Oh, please. You mean held or on company? Please. It is my act, the great sparkle. And I am nobody, I suppose. Well, I told them. They applauded. You see, Elder, my public is enough for that. Then go to your public. Leave me, leave me like an old Jew. It doesn't love his son. No, I will not go on. Hey, now I try. Go tell the audience there'll be another little delay, Mr. Diddy. We've got to get the name of the act straightened out. Oh, they'll think I'm crazy. Listen, Madam Helder, it is Sparkle's act, only you, Sparkle. Can't you be as generous as she was? She wouldn't go on unless you did. She wouldn't stand in your way. Oh, she has a great heart. See, I will be generous. The act shall be Sparkle and Helda. Helda and Sparkle. Still, Jocelyn's coming and bringing a gang. He says it'll be great to see the Sparkles again. The Sparkles? <laughs> yes. That's a nice name. Why don't you use that? Helda. It is a good idea, no? Yes, I agree. Elder. Tommy. Ah. Please, to me. I told the audience to wait, but they won't wait much longer. Hey, have they made up again? Yeah, look, Mr. Dillard, go tell the audience the show's going on, and no fooling this time. Now, wait. I want these two to tell me themselves this time. Sure, we'll go on right away. Oh, Tommy, I am so happy. I put in for joy. Her voice is back again. Yes, yeah, that's well. Hey, now she can sing in Tony's act. One second. Uh-huh. You keep out of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now it begins again. Uh-huh. Her voice, always a her voice, but she will sing in the longer place. Now listen. No, I quit. I'm a through. Uh-huh. Goodbye. Goodbye forever. Hey, wait. And you too, Helga. You both love each other. You both of you gave up your careers to talk to the others. And yet you fight over little things that can be settled so easily. You still think this thing can be settled? Of course it can. Oh, Blondie. Well, let each one of them do their own act. When Sparkle does his act, Helga will be his assistant and not sing. When Helga does her act, 
Paco will be her assistant and not stop fire. A good idea, Tommy, no? Please. Tommy. Helda. Oh. It's me. Listen, the orchestra just came in. I want to tell him to play an overture. Are we really going to have this show? Yes. Good. Well. But wait. Oh. Oh. Do not be nervous, my friend. It is only that we have one great finish for the show. And at the end, everybody's on the stage. Sabon. Everybody's the same. Yes, they will sing shiny little glove on glimmer. And my Tommy will be the glimmer. See, I am the glowworm. I shoot the sparks all over the place. Okay, but let's get started before we worry about the end. I'm going to buzz the office. Elder, Carissima, dry those beautiful eyes. You must look at your best. Yes, Tommy. Are you sure you have plenty of kerosene, Tommy? Well, Blondie, he did it again. Oh. I only hope it stays fixed till the show is over. Well, aren't you interested in what happens to them after the show is over? Well, after the show, we all eat, honey. I mean, after tonight is all over. Do you think they'll get along from now on? Oh, sure. That's it. I've got a great idea for them. A combination, barbershop and bakery, uh-huh. for the floor show of opera and fire eating. Oh, Jasper, that's a good idea. And speaking of baking shops and eating... Oh, Jasper. Well, folks, in just a moment, we'll try and give you a brief synopsis of next week's episode. But first... Camels give you extra flavor. Camels give you extra mildness and extra coolness. Camels give you extra smoking for fact. Try Camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Camels bring you three other great shows each week. On Friday night, Camels bring you the Al Pierce program. And on Saturday, there's luncheon at the Waldorf with Ilka Chase. You'll find it a new high in daytime entertainment. On Saturday night, tune in and hear Bob Crosby and Mildred Bailey featuring music with a heartbeat. Next Monday night, tune in Blondie again when Dagwood takes up the manly art of self-defense. Well, folks, that's a tip for your radio enjoyment. And for your smoking enjoyment, dry camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Blondie is played by Penny Singleton, Dagwood by Arthur Lake. Our Blondie Orchestra is directed by Billy Art, who also creates the special musical effects. This is Bill Goodwin speaking for the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Good night, all. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.